Good evening, good evening. How are we doing? Excellent. It's wonderful to see you faithful lovers of Jesus Christ. And as always, it is a blessing to take time in the middle of the week, be in the Word, be in worship, be in prayer, be in Bible study. And a reminder, do it every day. Do it all the time. Do it at home. Do it in the car. Do it when you wake up. Make it truly a part of your life, in and out. Because it's, it's a gift that we get, and that's how we walk in the Spirit. That's how we abide in our Father. That's how we do it. We're just immersing ourselves in Him and being in His presence as much as we can. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for yet another time to come before you, another time to be in your Word, another time to commune with you, Lord. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you help us to be focused on you and you alone right now, to be focused on your word, to be focused on the manna that you would have for us this night, Lord God. Holy Spirit, fill me to be able to be your vessel for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we were in Psalm 2, and we got to see the battle of human nature and the desire with human nature to rebel against God. And we saw that that rebellion against God, it's vain. It's not going to get you anywhere. It's not going to do anything because he is on the throne and he is always in control. Psalm 2 was a messianic psalm which pointed to King Jesus. It showed their rebellion to his first coming and it also gave us that beautiful, clear, prophetic picture of the millennial reign. When we will be with him and he will reign for those thousand years and what a glorious time that will be. Now the lesson of Psalm 2, the instruction that everything came through in there, we saw in that verse 10 with that now therefore was to be wise, was to serve the Lord, rejoice in him with trembling, kiss him through your submission in your life. And the blessing, the blessed ones are those who trust in him. Psalm 1 showed the blessed was not walking, standing, or sitting in the world. Psalm 2 shows the blessed man in surrender and trusting God. And we see then the tie-in of what we're studying on Sundays as we finished the prologue of John with the 6 to 18 verses. And we got to truly see that God provides abundant grace. And we reflected on Sunday about, and I hope you are still thinking about that penmanship of your thank you letter for the gift of grace. What's the penmanship of your thank you letter to Jesus for the gift of grace that we get? Are you in submission to God? Are you yielded to him in all areas of your life? These are questions that we have to ponder, questions that we need to continually be thinking on. Now, as I mentioned, Wednesdays we have homework check. Get out your notebooks, just kidding, but we do have homework check. So if you remember, Psalm 2, the charge was to turn that into a prayer for leaders, bosses, landlords, leaders. Did you turn it into a prayer? Did you turn it into a prayer for local and national world leaders? Did you do that? Continue to do so. If you didn't, do it tonight or else. No, I'm just kidding. But do it. Turn it into that prayer. Did you search your heart to see where you may be in rebellion to God? resisting his calling and how he wants you to live your life. It's an important thing we've got to be checking. And in our me-centric culture, as we discussed on Sunday and we're continually going to be reflecting and pondering, we have to make sure in a world that says, look at yourself, look at yourself, look at yourself, that we're looking to him, that we're looking at him. 
that we're focused on him. Search your heart in prayer on that. And also, did you ponder if your trust is truly in Christ alone? It's easy to say Jesus is enough, but far too often we just say it. But is he truly enough? Is the sufficiency of his word enough? Are we fully surrendered? Are we fully yielded to him? These are things that we have to do, and we need to be people who prayerfully ponder and study the word of God. He has you in this church for a reason. He has us in the books that he has us in right now for a reason. And it's for each and every single one of us and collectively. So you need to be prayerfully pondering that so that you faithfully walk and keep his word and not deny his name. So we need to be doing that. And again, Psalm 1 opened up with the way for us to do that because we get to delight and meditate day and night on his word. Never a chore. Delight. So tonight, we go on to Psalms 3 and 4, and I've entitled tonight's study, Tended Cries. Now, as we mentioned at the start of studying the book of Psalms, this is the hymn book for the children of Israel. This is the hymn book for the early church. This is a book that shows us how to worship, how to pray, how to cry out to God. And in a world today, we have to think about how we cry out. Because our culture right now is one of a lot of complaining. It's one of a perpetual pill of victimhood that seems to permeate all areas of our culture. We don't have to take accountability for anything. We don't have to reflect. If something is hurting me or something is wrong with me, it's someone else's fault because there's a system of oppression that's been in place that's made it someone else's fault. And the cries for today, there's no God because there is no creator. And if there is a God, I'm the God because of my truth and I live my truth and I do that and I just feed the flesh to destruction. That's the culture that we're in. But in the Psalms of tonight, we're going to see a contrast. We're going to see what it is for a heart who knows God, who loves God, who believes God, a heart that's willing to say, God, work in me. I'm not perfect. I need your help. We're going to see what that looks like and when that heart cries out to God. And that's the heart that we need to have as we cry out to God. Now, at Psalm 3, the inscription or the, uh, the superscript, we see a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. So we see this Psalm in the superscription. We get right away who the author is. It's David. And we also are given in this Psalm context. When he fled from Absalom, his son. Now, we remember David, we learn in 1 Samuel 13, 14, that he's a man after God's own heart. And think of what we just talked about, about that heart. Now, given David was a man after God's own heart, that means he was perfect and sinless because he was after God's heart, right? No, of course not. But the case is, David's a vital reminder for you and me that we can have a heart after God And the battle against sin is still present. It's a fact. Now, his heart is open again to the working of the Lord. But just because I go to church doesn't mean I have it all figured out. Just because I show up on Sundays and I'm here on Wednesdays too doesn't mean I have it all figured out and I'm sinless and I'm perfect. Because we're not. And we never will be. And something I value and love of this fellowship, which we have to keep, is the humility of the people in this body. And that needs to be something we pray that we keep, and we keep that humility. How do we keep that humility? We strive to walk in and live with the mind of Christ. 
that we saw in Philippians 2. We keep the humility by being anchored in his word, his spirit, his way. He must increase. I must decrease. And with that humility, sin's still going to come in because we have a sin nature. But on our journey of sanctification, that's what it is. It's a battle of sin versus flesh. But we know that when we're anchored in him, there's forgiveness through his blood. We know that we're his new creations. We know that if we abide in him more and more, he will shift what it is we want. He'll shift the way we pray. He'll shift to the way we think. Now, David's sins, he had them. Lust, adultery, deception, murder, just a few light things to start. It puts in perspective that we shouldn't judge. It also puts in perspective we all need Christ, every single one of us, and we all need his forgiveness. Now, 2 Samuel 11, you can get that whole story of sin that led to where we are in Psalm 3. David and Bathsheba. Men in the room, heads up. When you hear David and Bathsheba, train yourself, men. Take stock. Are my eyes fixed on Christ alone? Am I watering my bride with the water of the word? Am I fixed on romancing God's daughter? Am I fixed on her alone? Am I still in courtship with the woman he has given me. Take that pulse check. And young men who might be here, might listen to this at some point, when you hear David and Bathsheba, my charge to you, don't buy the lie of culture that marriage doesn't matter. Oh, it's so 1990s. No, it's a beautiful thing. Strive for that. Run for that. Desire that. And on the flip side, women, are you loving your husband with humility and respect? Are you fixed on him and him alone? Uncomfortable things that we might have to think about in the middle of a Wednesday study. But guess what, saints? Scripture shows us history. Scripture teaches us who God is. Scripture reveals his heart for us. And Scripture gives us reminders and applications for our lives. And we can't see the context of this and not have that reminder, David and Bathsheba. That should flash lights for you. Do a pulse check. What is that sin? He stays back. He sees. He sees her. The seeing isn't turned off by self-control. The seeing continues. He gets her to come. He has sex with her. She gets pregnant. Then he tries to cover up the pregnancy. Nope. Her husband's going to do what he should have been and stay faithful to the men that he's serving with. So then he has to murder and that's the journey. You can, again can see it, 2 Samuel 11. That's the walk, stand, sit in Psalm 1. His delight wasn't in the word of God. His delight was in fulfilling the flesh in that moment. Where's your delight? Because once sin creeps in, it's, 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 it just goes. Now in 2 Samuel 12, Nathan the prophet confronts David through a well-crafted parable and David comes clean with his sin. We see deep repentance. And we're going to see that psalm of repentance later in Psalm 51. And Nathan warns him, there's consequences for this. And this isn't a thing of you're going to have a bunch of general rational curses. No, it's biblical. It's the fact that traits are adopted. They're observed. They're seen. And they are passed along. But through the blood of Christ and him and his Holy Spirit, there can be a new way to live. But the sin that David had had ripples. 
Amnon, one of his sons, rapes his half-sister, David's daughter, Tamar. Absalom avenges Tamar's honor and kills Amnon. He grows in popularity. He gets forces around him. And he openly rebels against his father, David. He usurps the throne. 2 Samuel 15 to 18. You can do a deep dive on all that. We could, but we might be here till midnight. So we're not going to do that deep dive. But that's the back where we hit in Psalm 3. And this is a lament psalm. In this psalm, David flees in the middle of the night, fords the brook Kidron, seeking to hide from his rebellious son. We see also a reminder of a type of Christ in that. We think about him fleeing, going to the Kidron, going to the Garden of Gethsemane, the beautiful prayer that we get there. We see through this psalm that through our suffering and trials, there can be beautiful communion born with our King born with our Heavenly Father, because in it we recall He is in control. Verse 1, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. Selah. They increase who trouble me. Many rise up against me. The circumstance that David finds himself in seems hopeless. His reputation's fallen. His friends have abandoned him. And I ponder it, having a son, to think of the heartbreak that has to be in your son completely in that level of rebellion against you, usurping all the authority. Men, a charge to you, a reminder to us to be the men that God calls us to be, a reminder to lead our families, a reminder to lead the children that we have, by example, not just the hard fist saying, I'm the man, respect me. No, by example. Second Samuel 15, 13, we see now a messenger came to David saying, the hearers of the men of Israel are with Absalom. And we see in verse 2, many are those who say of me, there is no help for him in God. It's gone so far that the people, they say, there's no way he's going to help you. There's no way God's going to do that. Now, they could see that God is able to do anything, but they would say, because of the level of sin that you have, he's not willing to help you. He's not going to do anything for you. We see the portrait of man's logic trying to decide what God can and can't do, dictating what God can and can't do. Shimei, the son of Gera family of the house of Saul to David in 2 Samuel 16, 7 says to him, come out, come out, you bloodthirsty man, you rogue. He goes on to curse him and swear at him face to face. That's what he's experiencing when he says, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. Selah. Now that Lord notice is the personal Lord. So he starts with that personal plea and we see Selah, which we'll see 74 times in the Old Testament, 71 times in this book. It's a musical term, most often accepted, meaning a pause, a moment when the instruments or voices would cease. Now it can also be found by some to mean an interlude. It can also be found to pertain to the dynamics of the music, that it would come down, that it would change. But when we see Selah, it's a reminder to us in our prayer life, in our walk with God, slow down, pause, take a breath. 
slow down, pause, take a breath. David sees the state he's in. He sees a state that many would say is hopeless. Selah. Pause. Don't act on the word of man. Don't jump on the conclusions of your head. Instead, verse 3. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice and he heard me from his holy hill. Selah. But, remember what we said on Sunday, when we see that but, it's often followed by reminders of how big and how great God is. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, the one who lifts up my head. David shifts from his circumstance and he puts his focus on who God is. See the vital lesson in that one verse. When the circumstance shows defeat, it's not the time to accept defeat. It's not the time to try to speak into existence what you want or think if I pray hard enough, something's going to change. No. It's the time to recall who God is. That's what it's the time to do. It's the time to pour truth over your heart, over your mind, over your soul. Because here we see a crafty attack on David through the enemy, using his son, using all those against him. Yet, David holds God's shield, and he will not be shaken. My glory and the one who lifts up my head. The glory for most, the glory for many, is the glory of men. But in this moment, the glory for David is the glory that comes being fixed on the one who is glorious, God Almighty. David knows it's God who gave him the chance to rule, to be on the throne. He knows God is sovereign. He knows God is in control. What about you? When the circumstances say one thing, what is your reaction? What's your default? Where do you go? Where do you go? And he says, the one who lifts up my head. Think of the picture here. Think of what we saw, what he's had said to him. The world is giving him humiliation. Christ gives him victory. Christ restores his dignity because he rests in him alone. Three takeaways there. The world says there's no help. David knows God is his shield. The world says there's no treasure for you. David says my treasure is in his glory, the glory of God. The world says there's no encouragement, there's no hope. God encourages God lifts his head. May we find glory in the tribulations of this world when we shift and focus on the one who's in control. Don't look to the circumstance. Look to the one in control of the circumstance. Verse 4, I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. Selah. He knows his prayers heard. He knows the king hears him from that holy hill in Jerusalem. And silent prayers are beautiful, but notice what he says here. I cried to the Lord with my voice. Saints, speak to your king with your voice. Speak to the king. Speak to the God of creation with your voice. Don't believe, I don't know how to pray. I don't, I'm not good at praying. I don't know what the right thing to say is. Speak to the Lord. Talk to him. 
lift your voice to him. For David, the circumstance is that Jerusalem is taken over by Absalom. But the circumstance isn't reality for David because the ruler and the true one on the throne of the holy hill is God. And tie it to Psalm 2, who's going to reign on Zion? Jesus. That's where we get to sing. Don't look to the circumstance. Look to the king. Verse 5. I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Security. Comfort. Why? He remembered who God is. When we stand in the anchor of his truth, peace that surpasses understanding is what showers on us. And when we think about that, we think of how we looked at Psalm 2. They were rebelling because in their rebellion, they said, no, 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 no. I don't want to be under Jesus, those rulers. I don't want to be under God's authority because he's going to bind me in bondage. No, he's the bondage breaker. That's who we serve. And that's the same thing we saw in John when we thought about the spiritual truth that Jesus comes to bring, but the darkness of their minds doesn't allow them to see it. Remember, saints, study what you're looking in Scripture. Prayerfully see how the Lord weaves together his word. When we anchor in God and who he is, we can say, as David says, I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustained me. His faith enables him to rest, enables him to be able to lie down and sleep with that capital L-O-R-D relationship with the Lord. The anxiety, the chaos, the circumstance shifts and he's able to sleep and wake up. Sleep, we take it for granted far too often. I really think we take sleep for granted. The Lord's sustaining us as we sleep, saints. He's keeping our organs going because he's the author and finisher. He sustains us. Spurgeon wrote of this sleep, there is a sleep of presumption. God deliver us from it. There is a sleep of holy confidence. God help us so to close our eyes. Because you know who's in control. You know who's sovereign. And for us, think of that. What a blessing each night of sleep is and what a blessing when we open our eyes with a new day to live for him. Notice I said live for him, not self. I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people who have set themselves against me all around. Seeing who God is, resting in the peace that God's able to give, propels David to not be afraid. 10,000s of people, he won't be afraid. We have the whole counsel of the word of God, Romans 8:31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? For us, it goes even further. A security that comes when we live with that eternal mindset. When we realize this isn't my home. This is a temporary post that I'm here to share his word, live for him. And this is preparing me for what I'll do next in eternity. How long is eternity? Forever. With him. When God is our protector, fear need not come. And when fear appears, it's reverent awe of the great I am. 
That's the rejoice with trembling we saw of Psalm 2 last week. God as protector. We're going to see God as protector in Psalm 23.4. We're going to see God as protector in 27.3, in 118.6, and truly in every page of this book. We see God as protector because he's in control. Remember who he is. Verse 7. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. For you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Arise, O God. Help me, he's saying. Move on my behalf, heavenly Father and King. Save me from the situation that I'm in. And he then reminds, for you struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. It's a powerful poetic image. If you think about the cheekbone, it's the enemy as a beast. It's the strength in that jaw. The, that's broken. There's no threat. There's no fear. You've broken the teeth of the ungodly. Breaking the teeth. They can't say what they were saying. They can't do what they were doing. You've broken it. Total domination, protection, and victory. And it leads to verse 8. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. Selah. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That immediate deliverance belongs to the Lord. And it's that long-term deliverance because it all belongs to the Lord. Our world today, culture today, says too much that salvation belongs to my truth and my freedoms. Then and now, I'll tell you a secret. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That's it. No one else. Now, when we see this ending, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing is upon your people. He isn't speaking his fate into existence. He isn't dictating his own fate. He recalled who God is. He recalls that God is in control. He knows that God has victory over the enemy, Satan. And he rests in that comfort because salvation belongs to to the Lord, personal Yahweh. And when he's rested in all that, notice the shift. Your blessing is upon your people. He focuses beyond himself on the, God's people, the children of Israel. Saints, the world wants us fixed on our circumstance, wants us immersed on self alone. I need this. This isn't going like this. This, me, 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 me. But when we anchor On who God is, peace comes. And as his peace pours over us, guess what? Strength, endurance, rest. And then suddenly our eyes shift off of ourselves onto others. Because we realize salvation belongs to the Lord. We move from me, me, me to him, him, and his people. That's where the shift goes. The world tries to strike But God gives defense, God gives honor, God gives joy. Tended cries. Our cries are tended by the king when our eyes are off the situation and fixed upon him. Now this isn't to say that you're not going to have pain, sadness, hurt. No, I'm not saying that. You're going to have that. But, remember the but, God is in control. God is sovereign. And the sooner we remember that, the sooner we put him on the throne in our heart, in our mind, in our soul, 
in the midst of pain, the sooner the salve of his peace and the eternal security given by him can reign. What do we see Sunday? Believe, receive, become children of God. And as his child, he tends to us, for the Father loves us. Psalm 4. To the chief musician with stringed instruments, a psalm of David. So now this one we see to the chief musician. This means to the choir director. You'll see this title in 55 of the Psalms. And there's suggestion with this that there's a collection that would be used for special occasions. Some theologians when I was studying were saying that it's the chief musician is the Lord God himself. That one, personally, I got excited about thinking of being in his choir. That'd be pretty cool. This is another psalm of David. We're going to see the same voice. Now, in that, this gives us a chance to see consistencies of how he cries out to the Lord, how he approaches the throne. It's the blessing of intimately getting a chance as we go through the Psalms and look at the way the different ones that are written by the same voice. We get to reflect on how they worship, how they pray. And then in turn, we can reflect, how do I pray? Where are the consistencies and inconsistencies of my prayer life? Where do I need growth? Psalm 3 and 4 are linked together by mood, tone, concept, theme. We're going to see the recurring theme of peace from God's presence yet again. Even when we're torn by physical, emotional distress, peace from God. And that's a comfort we need to cling to every single day. Psalm 4 is another lament psalm. Yet as you saw in the lament of Psalm 3, what confidence there is when the focus is on God alone. Now, some will point to this also being tied to the fleeing of Bathsheba. Personally, I see it as another lament. This is just me, Vince, speaking personally, because I don't see the ties as much to the concern of physical safety and the kingdom. I see more a lament around his reputation. Now, the third psalm is often titled the morning psalm. The fourth psalm, the evening psalm. Thus, it's a nice little pair to go together. And perhaps a hint of the fact that we need the comfort of who God is and that he is in control every morning and every night, nonstop. We need that reminder. Verse 1. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. David starts this with a fire in this psalm. Hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. He's saying, God, I'm here. Listen, I'm yours. How do we know? Look at what he says. Oh, God of my righteousness. In just one sentence, he makes it clear. Anything good out of me, anything righteous out of me comes from you because I'm nothing apart from you. Saints, what's your opening cry to the Lord? Do you start in that humility? Do you start with a heart of passion from how big he is and how small we are? We need to recall the anchor of our faith when we go to the throne of our king. And again, the theme of late that we keep hitting, it's God alone. It's him alone. It's the sufficiency of Christ alone. Oh God of my righteousness. There's no room for self in that statement. There's no room. That's the Luke 9.23, denying self daily. You relieved me in my distress. 
AKA, you are faithful. You're the only peacemaker. You're the only peace bringer. He knows he's the bondage breaker. And he breaks the bondage of destruction of our mind that the enemy seeks to have. And he has a gentle plea here. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. Mercy. You're guilty, but you're saying, please don't give me what I deserve. Have mercy on me. Hear my prayer. He seeks to be heard from the faithful God he serves. Do you see anything about anything material in there? Do you see anything about what I specifically want? Far too often, we start our prayers with, Lord, I really need, Lord, I really want, Lord, you need to. And we don't start with acknowledging, again, who he is. Put him on the throne. Put him as the king. He knows. So what? Put him on the throne. What does it say here? Oh, God of my righteousness, acknowledge who he is. Verse 2, how long, O you sons of men, will you turn my glory to shame? How long will you love worthlessness and seek falsehood? Selah. How long? This phrase we see often to God in the midst of a trial with Psalms and other places in Scripture. Notice David first addresses God on high and then he goes to the issue that's hitting. He wants to know how long are they going to focus on loving worthless and seeking falsehood? Worthlessness, falsehood, when we see those, that's idols. We see that in the Old Testament. We see it in Scripture. How long are they going to put things before God? How long are they going to put things in the place of God? Where's David's glory? In God. We saw that in King Jesus. Yet men are attacking him. And for the circumstances, often for ourselves as children of God, the attack come for where we stand And that we're not looking to the idols. We're looking to him alone. And in that we see Selah. He has said, God is a God of righteousness. I'm putting the circumstance before you. Selah. A reminder again. Don't try to seek the resolution on your own. Go to the king. And guess what? Sometimes when you go to the king, you gotta wait. The answer is wait. That pause. Selah. Verse 3, but know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Once again, what do we see? The but and the shift. And he shifts from the circumstance to the facts of the God he knows, believes, and follows. The ungodly will have disaster. We saw it in Psalm 1. The ungodly will rebel in vanity. We saw it in Psalm 2. The godly set apart elected, chosen by God for eternity. Live by his word, live by his spirit, live by his way, and you're set apart. That's the journey of sanctification that all of us are on. That's the journey of being in the world, but not of it. That's the journey of faithfully knowing God hears my prayers. He says, the Lord will hear when I call to him. Now, a few things about that. Notice he says, He will hear. God hears in his hearing. It doesn't mean he's going to give you what you want. Again, God hears in his hearing. It doesn't always mean he's going to give you what you want. He's sovereign. He's on the throne. He's in control. He knows what's best. Also realize, as you grow in the word, 
as you grow in your communion with him, as you allow him to fill you with the Holy Spirit more and more and more, your perspective's going to shift. Your prayers are going to change because he's going to start to break your heart for what breaks his and you might find yourself praying more for the salvation of souls because you realize that's what matters most if we're thinking with an eternal mindset. And lastly, sometimes our prayer life can feel disconnected. Our prayer life can feel disjointed. It can feel like, I don't know, is God hearing me? What's going on? Think of John that we just studied, going back to the heart of our in the beginning. Are you truly abiding in Christ? Has unbelief crept in? Are you being the servant to him that you need to be? Is there unconfessed sin that you need to go before the Lord with? Because you can't hide from him. Are you in the word? Are you just trusting rote repetition of prayers and a set time? I start at 9.03, I finish at 9.18. I just do this rote thing, but there's no deep communion with the in the, begot- in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Sometimes we have to do that pulse check. But ultimately, we can have confidence in our prayer life if we're grounded in the word of God and if our belief is grounded in his sovereignty and remembering his will be done, your will be done. Be angry, verse 4, and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Selah. This is one of the Reasons It's pointed to an evening psalm. We see that we're, we're in the bed. Now we see here also, be angry and do not sin. Guess what? Sometimes we're going to have frustration. Anybody here ever get angry? I've been there. But don't use your anger as a justification for sin. Well, I have to teach him a lesson. No, you don't have to do anything. Remember the Church of Philadelphia, the group of Jewish people that were persecuting them. What did we learn then? God vindicates He takes care of it. It's not our job to. Why? I'll say it again. He's sovereign. He's in control. Be angry and do not sin. Paul references this when he has the righteous indignation in Ephesians 4, 26, 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Good time to follow this verse. Always. Always. God is faithful. God's in control. And in his faithfulness, see what he does here. He will always say, don't do this. And then he gives us what to do. Look at Psalm 1, remember? Don't walk, don't stand, don't sit. But this is what you should do. Delight and meditate in the word of God. Make him the priority. What do we get here? Ha-ha. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Now, this is not the meditate. Again, my rant PSA takes scripture in context. Notice the meditate of Psalm 1 has given us the definition of what the meditate here means. It's not the emptying meditation. This is the filling meditation on the word of God. This is filling your heart in his truth. Biblical Christian meditation is filling in of truth, pondering the word of God, anchoring on the word of God. It's the one that knows, but you, O Lord, are a shield for for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. It's filling to be in his presence. It's fully surrendered to him. And that's where we see Selah. Rest in that. Rest in that truth. 
from that, verse 5, offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. That's the flow that comes from taking that time of being with him. What is that ultimate sacrifice for us? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, every piece of you, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Think of all he did for you. And do not be conformed to this world. We're not to look like the world. Why? Because we renew our minds that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Because in that meditating that we see here, it's giving all of yourself to him. It's trusting in him alone. There's only one way to renew your mind, his word. It might seem like a broken record, but there's an anchor that we're getting told here that we need, the word of God. Verse 6. There are many who say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift up, lift up the light of your countenance upon us. Who will show us any good? This is a voice that's heard so much then, so much now. It's the voice of the cynic who doubts God. It's the voice in our culture today. Who's going to show those evil white Christian nationalists anything good? It's that voice. It's the voice that doubts God. David has it. We're going to have it. Any standing for God are going to hear that voice whispering, dare I say, shouting in your ears. Who's going to do anything for you? For the world, that's applicable because their life is uncertain. But there is nothing uncertain about the life of a believer in Jesus Christ, for we know our eternal security. There is nothing uncertain for us. As such, he says, Lord, Lift up the light of your countenance upon us. Despite the circumstance that he's hitting here, despite feeling like it's just all coming on him, he turns to the Aaronic blessing of number six. Verse 22, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. May that be our prayer for one another in the midst of whatever trials may come. That he shines the light of his countenance upon us. Some of you know, I, and youth make fun of me for this, 1828 Webster's Dictionary. I'm obsessed with it. I love it. When you look up countenance in that, it's literally the contents of the body, the outline, the extent which constitutes the whole figure, the look, favor, goodwill, kindness, support, aid, encouragement, resemblance. That's countenance. Think of that. Wow. That's all seeking to be poured upon. Lord, shine all of you upon us. Verse 7. You have put gladness in my heart more than in the season that their grain and wine increased. For the ungodly, their worth is in the harvest. Their worth is in the grain, the wine, the wealth that comes. It's like the world today. The worth is in materialistic goods. The fulfillment is in status. The fulfillment is in goods. But for the godly, notice he just says, gladness is in my heart. Why is gladness in his heart? Look before. 
He sat in the presence of the Lord. He was enough for him. God was enough. Jesus was enough. Is he enough for you? Can you say, I have gladness in my heart because you have the word of God and his promises? Or is there unhappiness because, well, I didn't get that thing or I, 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 I claimed a healing and the healing hasn't come yet. Saints, think of Johnny Erickson Tata. That's one example with that. We don't think she wouldn't have loved that, but God had a purpose in it. And we know that all things work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Never going to say God can't do miracles. Never going to say God can't do the miraculous. But in our prayers for it, we've got to remember he's sovereign. He's on the throne. He gets to decide, period. And the real thing we care most about is the healing for the sin-sick soul. Gladness in our hearts. And I would say it's gladness because it's a heart that's abiding. It's a heart that's obedient. It's a heart that's submitted. It's a heart that's yielded to God and not conditional upon the circumstance of their life because it's steadfast because he is and he never changes. It's God's steadfastness, the same yesterday, today, forever, that enables us to stand in any circumstance. And we can say, verse 8, I will both lie down in peace and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. The sweet evening hymn, indeed. Why and how can he lie down and sleep? Through God, through the personal Yahweh that makes him dwell in safety. Not the circumstance, not his feelings, not getting what he wants, but God alone. In both of these Psalms, the peace comes from God alone. Tended cries, tended cries are those that pour out from a heart built on the rock of salvation. When that heart's built on the rock of salvation, the circumstance need not matter, for he is. David had circumstances that could destroy anyone, circumstances that our culture today would say, take a pill, take this drug, take this shot, do this, go have sex, do this, and and feed the flesh. That's not what he needed, because David had the, but you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. But know that the Lord has set apart for himself him who is godly. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Security. Salvation belongs to the Lord in Psalm 3. You alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety, Psalm 4. You see, our cries need to come from a heart that has an eternal mindset, knowing my life is about eternity with him. My life is focused on the fact I'm going to be with him forever. Whatever I'm going through right now, this is temporary. I'm with him forever. There's nothing that matters more than that. So your charge for the week, how do you cry out to the Lord? First, search your hearts. Is there anything putting distance between you and God alone? Is there anything putting distance there? Prayerfully search it out. Put it at the foot of the cross. Drop it. Second, whatever circumstances are at hand, are you fixed more on the circumstance and yourself or are you turning to the but God is on the throne, but God is in control, focusing on the internal sovereignty of Jesus, Messiah. And lastly, 
Are you witnessing to those crying in our world today? Because if we think about those crying out, we're looking at two tended cries from a heart that knows he is. But think of our culture. We have people crying out from a place of victimhood, from a place buying the lies of systems destroying them. Do you witness? Do you point them to the Jesus of John 1? Are you the light on the hill for them? Do you remind them of the God of creation that's in control? He made everything. He's got this. I can't tell you how it's going to turn out, but if you come to know him, I can tell you how your last breath's going to turn out. Do you share the testimony of Christ in your life to be a witness and bridge for him? Tended cries. May we be a people who rest in this alone and embracing the peace that comes from this alone. Steadfast peace, comfort, joy, Christ alone. That's it. And as you're headed home tonight, when you lay your head on your pillow, when you go to sleep, ponder and pray, verse 8 of Psalm 4. I will both lie down in peace and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell safely. Because if you sleep and there's last breath in that sleep, you're dwelling safely because you're with him forever. If you sleep and you rise, you're dwelling safely because he's in control. He's on the throne. And if you hear all this and you don't know him, that's a completely different thing and we got to talk because this verse has a different application that's not applicable yet. But I pray you think of that. I will both lie down in peace and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Heavenly Father, thank you that it is you alone. It's through you alone that we have salvation. It's through you alone that we have your spirit. It's through you alone that we have the strength and endurance to do each day for your glory, Lord. Thank you for these two psalms, Lord, and just reminders of what it is to cry out to you, Lord, and to shift from the circumstance to who you are. Heavenly Father, I pray that you help us to search our hearts. And I pray, Lord, that you also give us your mind to see people as you see them. That when they cry out, we point them to the eternal hope of you. That we stay steadfast to your word, to you alone, to dwell safely with you now and forever. In Jesus' precious name, amen.